It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, if you have the victory, I need you to give him a praise. If you know that Jesus has given you the victory, then you need to give him praise because he is a mighty God. Hallelujah. Oh, come on now. Don't, don't wait to, to get out of something to praise him. Praise him just because he's worthy of it. Praise him because he woke you up. Praise him because he started you on your way, gave you food to eat and shelter from the cold. Anybody grateful for Jesus today? At home, come on, don't stay in the bed. Don't, don't sit down. Let the redeemed of the Lord say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say something. Open your mouth. Don't say it with your mind, but open your mouth and give him a praise that is worthy of a king, worthy of a mighty God. Hallelujah. You're worthy. Oh God, we worship. And we adore your holy name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We thank you so much for the victory that you've given us in Jesus. We thank you that because of that victory, we can tell the devil, get behind us. That's it, that's it. And we give you glory today, God, on this weekend that we remember the life of one of your prophets. And so often, God, we look in the Bible pages to find prophets, but thank you that you've raised up prophets in our day who stand against injustice and represent you. And so we thank you for the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let us not just have a day off work, but let's take a moment to remember those who died and who were bitten by dogs and hosed down and thrown in jail up beyond recognition so that we would have a right to go to Somerset and go downtown and get on the bus and get on the airplane thank you we got a long way to go but you've been a good God and we give you praise and we give you honor thank you so much God for those who are a part of the wider community who don't necessarily worship in this building with us but are worshiping online all over the place thank you so much that technology can be used for your glory and so we pray, God, that as the worship that has been lifted, that it would honor you, that it would speak to your heart. But God, we pray now that the words of our heart and the, the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, that they would be acceptable to you. We want you to be pleased. So we pray now, God, that you would anoint our words, that we would hear what you would speak. And it's in the name that's above all others that we pray in Jesus' name. And those that agree with that said amen and amen. Give God praise one more time. <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. Well, I know y'all, I know y'all in mass and all that good stuff, and that's good, but 
Do your mask. Just look at somebody and just wave at them and say, good to see you. Good to see you. Come on the other side. Wave at them. At home, we can't see y'all, but what up? What up, though? All right. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. What a mighty God. We are so grateful for this opportunity that we have to come together collectively to worship and to honor the Lord. Uh, again, this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and we're so grateful that the government finally acknowledged that it should be a national holiday, and we thank God that it is that. Uh, we pray that we don't just miss that day, but that we would be mindful as we enter into tomorrow of the amazing sacrifice and life that he led. But let's not just always look back, uh, but in the spirit of what he did, also look forward. Uh, there are many fights that still need to be fought. Uh, there are many battles that still need to be won. There are many voting rights that still need to happen. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that you all would be mindful of that and prayerful and also uh, extremely vigilant. These are some unprecedented times, not just because of the pandemic, uh, but the racism and the partisanship is at a level that we have not seen in a long time. And I believe that it's the church of Jesus Christ that has always been uh, the vehicle that God has used, even in our brokenness, even in our racism, uh, even in all of our mess, God still has used the church to be. Listen, Dr. King, with all of his humanity, he was a preacher of the gospel. He was a minister of the gospel and he went and did what he did unashamedly in the name of Jesus. Uh, and so I, I believe that, that we're not looking just for him to be the one that changes things, but maybe God is stirring something in you uh, and he's asking you to lean into injustice and lean into uh, lack of equity and that you can make a difference. So please, let's not just always look back and memorialize those of the past, but we are also charged by God to go forward ourselves. Amen. 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 Uh, I, I, I'm excited about this word uh, that we're in. Uh, we're specifically talking about the subject of soul winning. Uh, and I grew up in the Baptist church, and I grew up in a church that was a soul winning church uh, in Chicago. And I used to thank you all, uh, and for many of you at Citadel, you know this, is we would go door to door, and we would knock on doors, and we would talk to people. Uh, we would say to them, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And some of them would say no. Some of them would say long time ago. And we say, do you want to know him? And they say, yes, we do. And they would pray a prayer, Jesus, come into my heart, save me, Lord. I'm convinced that many of those people meant that. Many of those people did get saved. Uh, but for me, that was almost the end of soul winning. I got somebody to say a sinner's prayer, and that prayer of admission that Jesus is Lord has saved their soul, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we'll move on. Uh, you all, that's really a lot more complicated than that. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 that he or she that wins souls is wise, which means it takes wisdom to win someone's soul, not just to have them say a prayer, but to win their soul. So you all, we've been talking about that and we I have been diving into conversations of listening really uh, to people that are far from what we would normally listen to. We did that the latter part of last year. Uh, and, and this year we have many more interviews that we're gonna continue to have with people so that we can listen, not trying to fix, not trying to solve them or fix them, but to listen and learn who they are, 
how they are, and how God could use us to reach them for him. And so you are in doing that, we need to understand some definitions, right? We need to understand that the nature of God, God, we believe as Christians, is as a triune God or God who is a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For many of us, that's a hard concept. How can uh, a person be three persons in one? Uh, well, I often akin that to uh, H2O. H2O by its definition or composition is, you know, hydrogen and oxygen and it makes a molecule of water. Well, that water can be in three forms. It can be liquid. If you go outside and for any length of time today, those that are watching uh, and stand out there for about 10 minutes, uh, that little drop of water will freeze and it will become ice. But that same water puts some fire under it and put some uh, heat under it, it will become steam. Uh, it is still water liquid, water solid, water steam, same composition, but three different ways in which it represents and manifests itself. Are you following that? And so we have God in three persons. And the triune God, when he made us, he made us in his image. So he made the complexities of who we are multi-dimensional like he is. And so he made us tripartite. He made us body, he made us soul, and he made us spirit. In the book of Genesis, when God formed man of the dust, the Bible says he breathed into his breath, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The breath of God going into dust, into matter, made him a living soul. But because God was engaged in the life of the first man and woman, uh, the spirit of God was also present. So you had three parts. You had body, you had soul, the breath of God, and you had God's presence, which was on the inside of man. Are you following me? And so, you know, the devil came along and told uh, Adam, hey, did God, did God tell you that you could not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Uh, God is a liar. And God must be trying to hide something from you. Uh, you're not going to die if that happens. Uh, if, let me put my timer on. I got a little clock, y'all. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Y'all will be grateful for that down the line. Uh, I, let me tell you something. Can I just say this? I like white people for a lot of reasons. Can I tell you one reason? Let me tell you one reason I like white people. White people taught me how to preach under a clock. See, I grew up in the Baptist church and, 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 and Pentecostal churches, and they're like, don't you quench the Holy Ghost! If God tell you to preach five hours, you do it. But they really didn't mean that. You do know that they didn't mean that. they like, why don't we go somewhere and sit down? Uh, but you all, it, it was when I went to the white church and they told me, you have 20 minutes. Or you got, and they mean that. They, the little band come up there and, and all kind of stuff. Start, the lights come on. Uh, people start walking in the house. Uh, bottom line, they taught me that you can still be anointed and also be on time. Uh-huh. And so for that, I'm grateful. And so you all, we've got three parts of man. Uh, Satan said to Adam, hey, listen, God is trying to keep something from you. He's trying to uh, minimize uh, what you can have. Uh, you're not going to die if you eat of that tree. Uh, but God said to Adam, the moment that you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, you know what happened. Uh, the Bible says that uh, Eve took of the fruit, she gave it to Adam. Adam took of it. And the Bible says immediately, immediately there eyes were open and they realized that they were naked and God says for the first time to mankind where are you 
And he's been saying that ever since. Where are you? Listen, at that moment, Adam did not physically die, but watch what happened. He spiritually died. Let me say that again. The moment that he ate of the knowledge of the, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, he did not physically die. He lived many, many more years after that. But what he did was he spiritually died. So what happened? He now is body and soul and no spirit. Spirit is that that connects to God. Spirit is that that understands God. Spirit is that that communicates and has fellowship with God. And mankind no longer had the ability to do that. Something had to happen so that he could once again be connected back to the spirit which connected him with God. So man now, who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, mankind who has not acknowledged God in their life, they are dichotomous. They're not uh, tripartite, but they're dichotomous. They are body and soul, but they do not have a spirit. How many of y'all have ever tried to talk to somebody about the things of God and they looked at you like the RCA dog? They, right? Because they don't understand. Listen, you, you cannot explain to the carnal mind spiritual things. It's impossible to do it. As a matter of fact, they don't even understand why you're in church today. It's a pandemic. They go to the club, but they don't say nothing about it. But I can't understand. It's cold outside. Uh, listen, they go to get that lottery ticket when they're about that half a billion dollars. They didn't care how cold it was, right? But they don't understand why you go into church. Why? Because the spiritual things of God cannot be understood by the carnal or secular or unspiritual mind. So therefore, mankind now, body and soul. And so last week we talked about the flesh. I'm not going to rehash that. I encourage those of you all that were not here uh, to listen to that message as we explain what is the flesh. But I will say this, you all, unless you didn't know this important point, the Bible says, and we believe the Bible, the Bible says that the flesh in and of itself, the flesh in and of itself left to itself is at enmity and at war against God. It says that your flesh cannot please God and God cannot be pleased with your flesh. That's an important thing. Now, it doesn't mean that our flesh cannot honor God and we can't do things that are pleasing to him after we have been regenerated. But you all, the flesh has a proclivity towards sin. I brought my amens with me. Your flesh, your flesh, my flesh has a proclivity towards sin. You made, some of you made a a, a declaration. This is the year I'm losing that weight. I'm losing it. I'm losing it in Jesus' name. I bind and come against every calorie until you saw that cheesecake. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Your spirit was willing, but your... I'm not going to hang with nobody that ain't loving God. I'm not going to hang with these people. I'm not going to get it in until you met her. And pa-dow, pa-dow, you said, I can't control myself. And so you all, the flesh is at war with God. But you all, there's another part of us that I want to focus on today, and it is the soul, the soul. And the title of the message today is Soul What? Soul What? What is the soul? Let me share with you all a quote from Dr. King. Uh, He says, our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. Uh, Dr. King says, for the beloved community in America to exist, 
there must be a quality change in the soul as well as a quantitative change in our lives. He says the quality or the very nature of the soul must change in order to have a beloved community. He went on to say in another uh, time that my soul is too glad and too great to be at heart the enemy of any man. That's a qualitative change. When someone slaps you in the face and you turn the other cheek. How many of y'all ever heard that Bible verse and you thought he, Jesus was crazy? You say, you say what now? You say what now? You say somebody slapped me on one side of the face, I'm supposed to do what now? Oh yeah, I, I don't know. Jesus, I love you. I don't know what you're on today, but I, that, ain't, that ain't how that works. I'm from the east side. Let somebody come up on me if they want to and slap me. I'm not going to be trying to find my other cheek to turn. Somebody going to have their feelings hurt and other things hurt. But a person that has had a qualitative change, you all, and God has wrought a work in their soul, they can, eat, they can be hosed down with hoses. They can be bitten by dogs. They can be spit upon in the face. They can be beat beyond recognition. They can hold their children in material. Mama can hold her baby in her arms, unrecognizable, and still love. That is a change that is a qualitative change. And Dr. King said for us to be at our highest level, we've got to have our souls be changed. He says we will march only to the music of time or we will risking criticism and abuse march to the soul-saving music of eternity. At the heart and the core of Dr. King's movement was a soul movement. It was a movement for people to decide to allow their soul to go against the comforts of their flesh. I wonder today if there had to be a call for us to be involved in a civil rights movement. Are we built to do what they did back then? I wonder if somebody said, I need you to sit down and sit in somewhere because they are being unjust in the educational system. And our kids are not learning in Detroit public schools like they're learning in Birmingham and they're learning in Troy. They're not learning. And who's going to sit in? I ain't going to sit. It's too cold outside. It's too cold. I ain't going to sit outside. There was a time in the past that it didn't matter the temperature. It didn't matter the attack. For the goal that was ahead of them, they were willing to endure suffering and pain and hardship for our sake. And I wonder, what are we building for the generations in front of us? What are we sacrificing? But we cannot get to that point when our souls have not been saved. So we cannot talk about Dr. King in this pie in the sky in the past. We need to realize that the soul has to be changed. You are the nature of the soul has been an age old pursuit to try to understand. Uh, dating all the way back, you all, to the days of two famed philosophers, uh, many of the, the names that you would know, uh, primarily Aristotle and Plato. And I want to just put on the screen the, the, so you can understand how Aristotle viewed the soul. Aristotle, the Arist Aristotelian soul, uh, was comprised of these entities in his mind. It was the nutritive or the nurturative soul, that that nurtures life, all right, that that uh, sustains. I'm so grateful for my mother who was a nurturer. Today is her birthday, and I'm so grateful that my mother nurtured me. Anybody grateful that you had a grandmama or an auntie or a mama or somebody who nurtured you? So, so he believed that the soul, it nurtures, and, and that is where life is found. But he also believed that there was a, uh, an appetitive soul or a, a soul governed by the appetite. 
that the desires and the uh, impulses are also a part of the soul's actions. But he also believed uh, that there was a rational part of the soul, uh, a part that appeals to reason. But he, he, he concluded, though, you all, that only the rational soul was uniquely human. And the reason for that, you all, is because he says some of the other entities, some of the other parts of the soul, he found those things in other parts of creation. He said, so therefore, it cannot be unique to humanity because we see that displayed in other parts of life. So let's go back to uh, his view. Uh, the second side talks about the plants. Plants, you all, they're nurturative or they're nutritive. So anything that we do in common with plants is not uniquely human, he said. Animals uh, are both uh, appetitive and nurturative, all right? They, they have appetites and desires, uh, and they also nurture. So if we are in common with those uh, aspects, uh, we're, 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 not, we're, we're, we're not uniquely human because plants and animals have those characteristics. So the only thing that's left that he says humanity possesses that plant life and animal life does not possess is the ability to reason. The ability to reason. Watch this now. A person can choose to go on a starvation diet for a cause greater than themselves. Their body is saying to eat, you get to survive, you got to eat. But the rational mind can say, I will suppress what is, what is supposed to be for something loftier or something higher than just my desire. So that's what Aristotle viewed. Plato had a different view, you all, a platonic view of the soul. And his view, you all, said, uh, to obtain knowledge, one must suppress bodily needs and concentrate on rational pursuits. So he kind of built on what Aristotle was saying, right? Aristotle said that the unique part of humanity is our ability to reason, or our ability to intellectually think. And so Plato said, then, then part of that pursuit is to obtain knowledge, to become a knowledgeable person. A person has to suppress their bodily needs and concentrate more so on rational pursuits. The job of the rational component is to postpone or inhibit immediate gratification when it is in the best uh, long-term benefit of the person. So he says that a person at a high level of reasoning or a high level of thinking, they're able to postpone immediate gratification for the long-term benefit. Are you following that? This ain't got nothing to do with God now. This is just he's saying that human beings have the ability to, uh, to forego something that makes them feel good right now for something greater later. I'm so grateful that I married a wife who lives in that zone. My wife plans ahead. Listen, you want to see me go on a vacation? Watch how I pack. <laughs> and watch how she packs. She packs by the day. We're going to wear this on Monday and this on Tuesday. And she plans the day that way. I take stuff and throw it in. And this is a true story. Every time, my wife will tell you this, every time we go anywhere, I always got to go buy some socks. I always got to buy some, come on now, is anybody, I, I'm not the only one like this. I, I got to always buy another shirt. Man, I got to buy some drawers. I thought I had enough drawers with me, right? Uh, bottom line, and, and, this, and that's, the, that's the light side of things, but my wife also financially and fiduciarily thinks ahead. And some people, you all, have the ability to forego instant gratification 
for long-term benefits. One of the things that Plato uh, said that's a little different uh, and, and kind of interesting, though, he felt, you all, that uh, life was predetermined. So that where people were born and how they predominantly have been their entire life, for the most part, was their station in life. A person who was a slave would remain a slave. A person that's courageous and a soldier and one that's willing to go out and interact and intervene, uh, that person is that. But then there was a, he called it philosopher king. I think because he was a philosopher, he also tagged on king. So he believed that there were three types of people, those who were uh, at, the, at the mercy of their whims and the mercy of their, uh, their appetites, those who were courageous enough to go out and do things and be on the cutting edge, but also those who were focusing more on ration and thinking, and those were at the highest form for him. Well, you all, the Bible has some definitions and some uh, views of the soul that are quite different from that of Aristotle and Plato. Uh, in the Old Testament, you all, the word for soul is nephash, nephash, and it is the Old Testament Hebrew word for soul. In the New Testament, we see the word suke, which is the New Testament Greek word for soul. However, you all, there are only a couple of places in the New Testament where we actually see, because when we see the word soul in the Old Testament and the word soul in the New Testament, in those two definitions for the most part, it's very similar to the life of an animal or the life of a plant. And so when you see the word soul, it just means life. But when it's uniquely that of the nature of God inside of us, the soul that we're talking about. There's a couple of scriptures in the New Testament that actually lead to that. So I want to talk to three about three things today, if you're taking notes, just three, three points. The soul is eternal, the soul is aware, and the soul is alterable. Let me say these things again. The soul is eternal, the soul is aware, and the soul is alterable. So let's just talk about the, the eternal nature of the soul. If you have your Bibles, open with me, if you could, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I encourage those of you that are watching online, please don't just defer to the, to the verses on the Bible uh, on the screen, but please download the Bible on your smartphone. Get, get a Bible. There's no excuse anymore. You ain't got to go to the Christian bookstore to get a Bible. Just go to the app store. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, watch this, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
So you all, in this uh, letter to the church at Corinth, Paul is explaining to them the nature of the body and the soul. He says that the body that we have is the house that we live in. Uh, and let me just say this for those of you all who have lost a loved one and those of you all that have grieved and are still grieving the loss of someone that you care about and that you love. Let me just say something to you. And I know it's hard because we, 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 we connected to the house and we're not connected to the dweller in the house. So when the house leaves, we think that they left. But the house was never them. Okay, Luther Vandross, a house is not a home. Come on now. You can have tables and chairs and beds and all kind of stuff, but that a house does not make a home. You all, even though you're in your body, as a, that is not your true home. You are a citizen of heaven. And the Bible says that those of us who are in these bodies, you all, we are waiting for the day that the mortal or the human or the natural will be swallowed up by life. He says that those of us who are at home in the body right now, we are away from the Lord. He says, but we are confident that we would rather be away from the body and be home with the Lord. Now listen, you all, I thank God that I know Jesus. Because the fact that I know Jesus means that when I die, the moment that my eyes close, I'm not going to wake up a little bit later and find myself on a, 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 a conveyor belt and waiting in line. And what's your number? Number 23. And I'm going to sit at the gates of Peter and he's going to ask me questions. That's a cartoon. To be absent from the body is to instantly be present with the Lord. And I don't know who's listening today, but I know you're missing somebody. But let me tell you something. The home that they were in, the body that they were in, that was not their house. And they had to go home. And right now they're in the presence of the Lord. And he said, I would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 just listen to the words Matthew 10 28 do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather watch this now be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell let me just say this you all it's 2022 and people don't want to talk about hell anymore uh-huh. I don't want to talk about hell. As a matter of fact, I'm so amazed at all these uh, commentators on the news who have found their own religion and their own view of God. Uh, I wouldn't serve a God that wouldn't do this, and I wouldn't serve a God that would send people to hell. Well, I'm glad that you're not God. I'm glad that you didn't write the Bible. I'm glad that my, my breath is not dependent upon you. I'm glad that the sun hanging where it hangs is not dependent on you. But the Bible says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You all, watch this now. I love this. Uh, the body cannot live without the soul. But the soul does live without the body. Let me say that again. The, so the body, you all, cannot live without the soul. Let the soul leave the body and the body is dead. But the soul does live without the body. I don't believe that. Well, turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I don't believe that. Well, and, and let me say this, by the way. And, and for those who don't believe the Bible, you're in trouble. 
Because you all, we as a Christian church, we believe that there has to be an authority greater than our intelligence. There has to be some source that is greater than just our feelings, our thoughts, and our emotions. And we have built our trust on the word of God. And so everything, everything that I talk about is not my opinion. It's not my thought. It's not the thought of the day. It's what the word of God says. So Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Come on, every day he was just, he was just every day he was just, you know. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked this sore. See this, see this picture? Rich man in the crib. Uh, got on, you know, Chanel and Gucci, Ferragamo, just, just all of that. And a beggar's at the gate, covered in sores, longing to just not, I don't need to eat what's on the table, <laughs> but, but food that falls from it, I, I, I'll eat that. And the dogs would come and lick the sores that covered his body. The time came when the beggar died. The beggar died. The beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. <laughs> Here he is trying to run stuff from hell. Uh, I ain't even going to talk to Lazarus, but Abraham, uh, tell Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, and it has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Mm. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. <laughs> Still ain't talking to Lazarus. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they uh, will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, even if somebody rises from the dead, their hard heart will not listen to them either. Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe in Jesus. Well, your heart is heart. So you all, the soul is uh, able to be aware. It's not just eternal, you all. It's not just eternal, but it's also aware. I want you to look at some words in, uh, in that text in Luke that lets you know that the soul, listen, the soul after your body is in the ground, your soul is still aware. It says, in, in hell, he was in torment. Torment. You can't be in torment if you can't feel torment. 
You know, uh, there was a picture one time about hell, you all, and it had, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, all kind of wild stuff, you know. Uh, the women was walking around in thongs and hell, and they, was had, they had drinks, and they had pool tables, and people smoking weed, and like, you know. And then they had heaven, the little people just sitting on clouds, and, uh, just walking around. Everybody looked so boring. Everybody looked so tired. But the people looked like they was turning up in hell. Uh-huh. The Bible says that hell is not a party. Hell is not a place where you turn up for eternity. Hell ain't a place where you get it in for eternity. The Bible says that while this man went to hell or to Hades, he was in torment. And he looked up, which implies that the location is down. He looked up and he called, which meant that the soul had the ability to communicate. He called. And then he says uh, in verse 24, I am in agony in this fire. Let me just say this, you all. I'm going to give you, I, you heard me do this before. I'm going to give you a quiz. Give me the opposite word I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a word. You give me the opposite word of the word I'm going to give you. Okay, up, hot, in, heaven. Exactly. Exactly. How is it that you have no problem with opposites in every other area? But all of a sudden, you believe that everybody going to go to heaven. Oh, everybody ain't going to heaven. Please don't get it twisted. I, I like Disney movies. Y'all heard me say, I love Disney movies, but there's one movie I refuse to watch. All dogs do not go to heaven. And so you all, for people who do not believe in God, for people that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, whereby their sins have been forgiven and they've been made right with God, not because they're right, but because he was right and his blood covers them and his blood washes their sins away and makes us acceptable to God because the Lamb of God's blood was slain for us. Those who've been washed in that blood, we have a, an opportunity to be in the presence of God. If that has not occurred, for whatever the reason, if that has not been what's happened to you, the Bible tells us that this man was in a place called Hades or hell. Now, let me just explain this to you all because uh, Abraham uh, is the subject matter in this text. And the reason for that, you all, is because Jesus had not yet died. And so everybody in the Old Testament who had died, Abraham and Moses and David, everyone that looked towards the Messiah, they were held in a place called paradise. And that is why many Catholics still call it purgatory. And the only reason that there was an in-between place is because even though they looked towards the cross, they had not yet been forgiven by the blood that came from the cross. So even though Moses and even though Abraham and even though David and even though Elisha and even though Joshua were anointed and major people, they still were sinful because their sins had not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. So there was an in-between place and there was a place called Abraham's bosom. And those that died went there, but the Bible says in Hades or in hell, he looked up his eyes. And he says these words, I'm in agony. You can't be unaware if you're in agony. But then it says, uh, I remember G uh, Abraham said, uh, Lazarus received bad things. But watch this now. L Lazarus now is comforted here. The soul is aware. The soul is in heaven, and it's not just some uh, force or some uh, kind of, you know, uh, you know, ghostly kind of situation, but it's aware. It's knowledgeable. It's communicative. And the Bible says that he was comforted while he was in his agony. 
But not only that, you always said there's a huge chasm, a huge gulf between heaven and hell so that neither one can get to the other. You better hear this. When you die, there is no second chance. When you die, there is no getting it right. That is why I serve the Lord while you have a chance. Call on him while he's near. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Listen, I got a lot of questions. There's a lot of things I don't understand about God. There's a lot of things I don't like about the Bible sometimes. There's some things that the Bible says that don't make me feel good. And there's some things I don't always agree with with the Bible. However, with all of the things that I may not agree with, with all the things I do not understand, I do not want to be caught dead without knowing that I have a relationship with God and I'm going to be in his presence. I don't, have, I don't want to roll that kind of dice. So I, I, I don't have time to deal with this like I want to, uh, but, but there's another text, you all, where uh, Jesus goes to the mountain of transfiguration. And the Bible says that while he was there, and I love this, uh, uh, the disciples came, the three boys came with, the three guys came with him. They're up there on the mountain of transfiguration. And the Bible says that Jesus uh, turned on the switch from the inside. <laughs> he said, let me show you who I really am. Even though I'm the son of man, I'm also the son of God. Y'all been seeing me walk the earth as the son of man, but just for a minute, let me give you a sneak of coming attractions let me show you what my glorified self looks like and he just turned on the switch and he was transfigured and glowing but the Bible says while he was doing that there were two other people who were talking with him Moses and Elijah if the soul means that you are not aware then how can they be talking to Jesus and they died a long time ago The soul is aware. But lastly, you all, in the eight minutes and 37 seconds I got left, the soul is alterable. What does that mean? The soul has the ability to change. Look at John chapter 11, John's gospel chapter 11. Just got two verses and I'm done. John chapter 11. The soul is alterable. John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, watch this now, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And you all hear this now. God is telling a grieving family that even though your loved one is gone, I have power to do what no one else can do. I have power to bring them back to life. And he says, well, she says, well, I know you do in the last day in the resurrection. Everybody's going to be brought back. He said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Uh, I'm not talking about power coming from some nebulous place. 
He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And those who believe in me, their souls will never die. Listen, you all, watch this now. The, the debt that God was talking about in the Garden of Eden was the debt of the soul, which meant that the moment that Adam and Eve died, if they did not have their eyes turned towards God, turned towards Jesus in the future, turned turn toward a Messiah that was come, because in the garden also Jesus was told about. The Bible says that when God cursed the snake and cursed the serpent, he says, you know, you, he will, you, you will bruise his heel, but one day the seed of a woman will bruise your head. In other words, the descendants of humanity Jesus will come and you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Jesus says that those who accept him as Lord and Savior, he is the resurrection and he is the life. Which means that you will never die. Let me just say this to you. When you are a Christian, you no longer have death on the mind. Somebody asked me, uh, I never forget when somebody, somehow uh, I was in Chicago, I was evangelizing, and this guy uh, pulled out a gun on me several times, and I was in Dallas too, and the guy said to me, I'm going to kill you. He said, you better shut up. He had the gun turned sideways. That's the scariest thing when it's turned sideways. Just turn it this way, but it's like this. He said, dude, shut up. I'm going to blow your brains out. I said, before you blow my brains out, can I tell you a little bit more about Jesus? He said, dude, I'm going to kill you. I said, I died in 1984. You can't kill a dead man. I've already died. And if you decide to kill me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if it's not time for me to die, touch not God's anointed, neither do his prophet any harm. So if, you, if it's time for me to go, I'm cool because to be absent from this crazy world is to be present with God. You can't do nothing with that. But if it's not time for me to die, God going to kill you and your mama and your dog and the ticks on your dog. Child of God, I don't know who I'm talking to, but if you know Jesus, don't you dare let death make you afraid. Don't you dare walk the streets afraid. Of I can't get no gas because I'm scared. Do you know you are a child of the living God and greater is God in you than the devil that's in the world? What made Dr. King do what he did because he knew who he had? You cannot come up against a spirit of racism without the power of the living God. You can't kill a dead man. I got one more scripture and I'm done. One more scripture. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You've heard this scripture before many times. John chapter 3 verse 5. The soul is able to change. The soul is alterable. And for those that are listening right now, your soul may not be saved yet. Listen, your soul has not connected with God. No judgment. It is what it is. Your soul has not been regenerated. Your soul is still connected to the old life. The sinful appetites. The things that please you. The things that make you comfortable. It's all about you and me and I. 
my pleasure, my dreams, my goals, my future, my five-year plan. And if God can't fit in my schedule, then I don't want that kind of God because it's all about me and I and what I want. A soul that is alterable is changeable. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered. Nicodemus comes to him at night. Nicodemus is an incredibly smart guy. He's, a, he's an incredible theologian, but he's also this Pharisee. And the Pharisees are known to really always try to trick Jesus up. And he comes at night inquiring, trying to figure out who is this man that has so much wisdom, so much power. I think he might be the Messiah. I don't know. He asks him, uh, who are you and how can... How can I experience eternal life? Jesus answers, watch this now. Verily, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Nobody can enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born of the spirit. I'm smart. No one but I got money. No one. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Watch this now. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now listen, I'm done. When he said that, Nicodemus says, wait a minute, you mean I got to go back in my mama's womb and be born again? Because he was trying to understand this concept. He says, no, 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 no. That that's born of flesh is flesh. We're not talking about a physical rebirth. We are talking about a spiritual rebirth. And if you're listening right now, and for whatever the reason, you have not acknowledged Jesus as your Savior, you've not acknowledged God, and you have a choice, you're not, you're not without a choice. God has given us the ability to have free will. But if you've chosen to not accept him, your soul is not saved. Your soul is not connected to the things of God. It is impossible for you to be able to do something beyond yourself. When you don't have the power to do it. Now next week I'll talk about the spirit. But let me just say this to those of you that are listening and you have not yet yielded your soul to God. The most incredible thing that you will ever do is to say yes to God. A hundred years from tonight, it won't matter where you worked. It won't matter your career. It won't matter who your husband or your wife or your boo is. It won't matter what your zip code is or what your net worth is. It won't matter how you looked. A hundred years from tonight, the only thing that will matter to you is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you given your life to Jesus and is your soul saved? Because let me just tell you the truth according to the scripture. If you've not done that, your fate will be like the rich man. Your fate will be like him. Where you will be sent to a place that is a place of torment for eternity. Anybody ever had a toothache? Imagine that for eternity. Anybody ever had a baby? Any ladies ever had a baby? 
Imagine that for eternity. It's nonstop, that pain. Torment, agony, fire, a gulf between you and your loved ones. And please understand, you like granny, but you don't like her enough to know her God. You love granny, but you don't like granny enough to know the God that granny knew. Granny will be in heaven and you won't. And the Bible says there's a gulf that the people that are there, granny can't reach and get you. You can't reach to get granny. If Moses and Elijah can talk to Jesus, I'm so grateful as I close the day. And I don't know if we will know each other intimately. I think we'll be so enamored with God that we won't be looking to see who we can try to find. I don't really believe that. But I'm so glad to know that the day will come that I'll be where my mama is. That my mama that will sit on the porch and sit in the chair and sing about, precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on. That one day I'll be where she is. Here's the question. Who have you lost that had a relationship with God? Here you are walking and doing your thing, minus God, don't care nothing about God, but Bible says it's appointed to man to die. Everybody's going to die. And after that comes judgment. And the question is, when it's time for you to be judged, will there be blood on you? Will the blood of the lamb, will Jesus be the one that has washed you so that when you are looked at, you're not looked at for your sin, but you're looked at for your Savior? And so in Jesus' name, I want to encourage somebody that's listening, whether in person or whether online. If you've not given your life to Jesus, if you've not decided to surrender to him, to do so. Surrender with questions. Surrender maybe with a bit of resentment. Surrender with pain. But surrender. Because if you don't surrender, you don't have a chance for your soul to be all that God intended for it to be. God wants your soul to be His. And the only way you can do that is to be born again. And for those of you that are born again, blessed assurance, Jesus belongs to you. And one day when the time comes for your days to be done on this side, C.C. Winans has a song, Don't Cry For Me. Don't shed a tear. You know why? Because I'm with the Lord. And so I'm so glad to know you all that this world is not my home. And I'm not building my life on what this world can provide me. But I'm building my hope on things eternal because I know that that is where I will spend eternity. What are you building? What are you deciding to do? Choose you this day.
whom you will serve. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed in the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the clarity that you give us from it. Thank you, Lord God, that we cannot see a change in our soul unless you do it. That this born of the flesh is flesh. That this born of the spirit is spirit. Father, I pray now for somebody that's listening that is far from you for whatever the reason. It's not our business. Maybe at one point they were closer, but they fell back a bit. For somebody, they've never, ever accepted you. They've never acknowledged you as Savior. They've never trusted you. But something today stirred something in her heart. Something today registered in his heart. And so, God, I pray now that they would make the next step to invite you in to be the Savior of their life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're listening and you know that you want Jesus to to change you, right? That you would be more like him and less like you, right? If that's your desire, then the Bible tells us that whoever calls upon his name shall be saved from what they are and saved to what he calls them to. You will be saved. You will be delivered from the old you and transformed into the new you. But that can only come when you call on him then. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life. In Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer, and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us, and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT, or please visit us on our website, Citadel of Faith. Dot org that's simply spelled c-i-t-a-d-e-l of faith.org all one word we would love to hear your testimonies we would love to hear your prayer requests know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone let's change the world together one person at a time